Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer and podcaster Rick Stovall. Rick specializes in architectural photography and has worked with clients such as the Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, Marriott International, and the Wall Street Journal, to name a few. Rick is also the host of the Visual Revolutionary Podcast, where he interviews top-working photographers, filmmakers, and creatives. I was excited to get Rick on the podcast to hear about his journey with photography and starting his own podcast. So I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. And definitely go check out Rick's podcast, Visual Revolutionary, which is available on all podcast platforms. I'll put the link in the descriptions. Uh, But he's uh, got a lot of cool interviews, so definitely go check that out as well. Thanks so much, and uh, hope you enjoy. All right, well, now welcome on Rick Stovall. Uh, I'm excited to have you on, Rick. I was on your podcast a couple months ago, so it's, I'm excited to turn the tables on you and uh, talk about all, everything you're working on and your journey with photography, man. So uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this, man. Oh, dude, thank you for having me, man. I'm, I'm excited and uh, honored. I don't belong on a show like this, but I'm excited <laughs> to do it. That's not true, man. That's not true. Humble, humble. Uh I guess first off, man, uh, how, how's your holidays, man? We're in a new year. Uh, I guess how things the new year starting off for you? Year, man. new day. Yeah. Uh, life is good, man. I got no complaints. You know, I've I've been super fortunate to really kind of roll through all of this um, and and doing okay. You know, I live in a good spot where we can enjoy the mountains, enjoy nature. Um, but uh, you know, I'm excited, man. I'm excited yeah. for a new year. Yeah, because you're in Colorado, right? Yeah, yeah, right outside of Vail, kind of Beaver Creek area, you know, um, in the mountains. So did you guys get affected by those fires that are out in Colorado? Like, uh, No, one of my best friends actually lost his house in that fire. Super Jesus. sad. Um, that's, that's about three hours away. And kind of, that's right outside of Boulder, basically. So, yeah, I saw the photos, man. It was insane. It just like took out entire neighborhoods and it's just down to a rubble, man. It was fucking crazy yeah yeah super sad um and just strange you know like a super strange time to have wild wildfires like that and you know right before christmas the the real unfortunate part i mean all of it was obviously but um the very next day a huge snowstorm hit that area and so i mean one day yeah wouldn't have happened you know it just it was so dry before that storm hit that it was just a lot of kindling basically ready to go yeah it was gnarly um i guess in in the new year are you a big are you like a new year's resolution person are you like someone that kind of like at the beginning of the year kind of sets goals or anything like that or how do you kind of operate um you know i kind of i set them like throughout the year honestly i mean i am a new year's resolution at least like to you know mentally i guess kind of you know manifest what i want one and um I am a big believer in, in writing things down and, and I do that throughout the year anyway. And uh, I keep a couple different notebooks where, you know, it's not just the simplicity I, I think of like writing goals, but like, you know, writing some ways that I feel like help me, help me get there. It's easy to like write the things you want, but then it's like, how does it happen? You know? And so yeah, sometimes that's the mistake of people are just like, I want success you know <laughs> What's yeah like getting there you know yeah 
and i don't know about you man like i appreciate the holiday season because it's like like one it feels like one of the only times in the year where stuff kind of slows down for a week or so and you actually get a chance to like because you know how the freelance photo game is it's just like a non-stop like this bullet train like this every day this like whatever it is shooting and editing and running your business and all that shit so it's like i don't know about you but like are you someone do you kind of carve out time for yourself to like have breaks throughout the year will you take time off or like how do you kind of balance that like mental like this the chaos of running a freelance business yeah it's an important question man and um it's something i've gotten way better at over the years honestly you know i think early on in your career it's like you and don't hear me wrong like i still deal with this struggle but i think it early on it's a real struggle of you know when you're busy it's great and you're making money and when you're not you're like how do i get busy again to continue this train you know kind of moving down the track uh and over the years i mean i've been doing it for long enough and you know quote unquote i guess successful whatever that means but financially making a living from it long enough now that you know like i've gotten the hang of of the idea that just because things slow down they're going to pick back up and so all those times where i'm like too busy to enjoy all the things that i want to do all the hobbies i do um i really appreciate it now to where it's like as soon as things slow down instead of like thinking i need to hustle and be you know sending emails and calling clients i just enjoy the time i have with my kids or you know time in the mountains whatever it is so yeah, I take lots of breaks, maybe too many breaks. No, no, definitely not, man. <laughs> I think it's important because I know like early on, like starting out, like because you can, you know, the traps of like social media and like watching YouTube videos because it's just nonstop. There's so many of these like motivational, like grind, grind, hustle, hustle, yeah. build your business, yeah. become a I hear, like all the, I hear you, Gary V. Yeah, all this shit like and, and you can make you feel like I need to wake up at three in the morning every day and uh -huh. work 16 uh -huh. hours a day. And then I, what you realize is like, actually that's probably like counterintuitive. Like it's just, it, it goes against you. Like for me, when I have the chance to take a break and you can kind of pause and take a step back of like what you're actually doing and what you want to accomplish. Like, I don't know, I, after getting to, uh, you get to talk to so many photographers too. I remember I talked to this one photographer. I'm like, what have you been up to? It's like, I don't know, man. Like I kind of just been chilling for like the last couple of weeks. And I was like, for real? Like, and this is like a successful thing. I was like, and that just like changed my mindset. I was like, wow, it's okay to like chill for a minute and then like yeah. just keep it going, you know? Yeah, dude. I, not only is it okay, I think it's important. You know, yeah. like one of the big things or, or the big motive motivating factors that started my podcast was I was super burned out, like of the photography game, honestly, man. And a lot of that I think came from it came from a multitude of things. Um, but one of the big things was I was just, you know, like I was so focused on being busy um, and, and making money that I forgot to just like, you know, have fun, man. And it's just so important. And look, dude, I love like that the David Goggins of the world are out there and they motivate me too. But, yeah. but at the same time, I'm like, you know, it's good to just, it's good to like fuck but, off sometimes. You see, know? but I I look at David Goggins sometimes. I get it, it's motivational, but like I'm like at the end, of the, I'm like, is that dude actually happy with his life? Like <laughs> I, I was I was like, because it's just like, because that's his job. Like he, he's like right. an influencer, motivational guy, so he has to keep like 
like like feeding that engine and i'm like i always look at him like i could see how it's motivational but i was like is that dude really happy like i was like i don't know it's just interesting to look at you know i think it's it's cool that they someone like that exists or the jockos out there you know it's like um it's it can be like a source of inspiration of like how hard you can push yourself yeah uh, i don't have the desire to yeah to be that person you know and i think there's like that fine balance i mean that's what i'm saying it's like look man if you're trying to make a career in something as fickle as photography like you definitely better be willing to to be a hustler and to put the work in and yeah you know work more hours than a lot of people definitely believe that you do as a photographer um but at the same time and i just think it's so important to to have things that you really outside of like i enjoy photography i do yeah. enjoy what i do for a living yeah but i think it's really important to have things outside of that you know that you love you're just as passionate about those things and yeah. uh, just brings balance man i think balance is I'm trying to, you know, like I'm trying to walk the middle path as much as I can in life. And you know, it's like hard, extremes on both sides. And uh, you know, I just try to not get too distracted by them, I guess. Yeah, because like what are what are some things like when you do have time off? Like what are those things that you enjoy doing? I mean, dude, I pay a lot of money to be in, you know, like it costs a lot to live in the mountains where I live. And so all of those things, you know, I snowboard and mountain bike and fly fish and you know like i do a a lot of mountain activities um you know i got teenage kids and um i made a decision like fairly early on in my career as well where it was like things were kind of getting successful i got an agent out of new york i was starting to travel and my kids are still pretty young and i just you know and it's and this is no offense to like the guys out there that do travel a lot and have kids i just i made the decision like I want to be at like their soccer games and stuff. I want to be around and and be present. And so I really, I tried to create a client base and, um, and a photography career that could allow me to be home more often. And so that's been part of that, that balance and that free time as well, man, just like hanging with my kids and my wife. That's dope, man. It's like, it's like, uh, like this thing, like my, my job's not my life. Like I, I love yeah. my job, but it's not my whole life. My life, my life is like getting to interact with the people that I care about and like do the other activities. Like I do, like, like you're saying, I do like photography, but those other things are ju- just as important. I think. Totally. And I'm sure you see it all the time with your show, man. Like, and once again, I'm, uh, just like the David Goggins of the world. Like I'm inspired by, um, some of the photographers I have on my show where it's like, they, it, it seems like they just like, they have to always be shooting, you know, like, and it is, I think it is who they are, you know? And like, it's inspiring, man. It's just not me. Like, I love it. I really do love uh, the medium and the art form of photography, but, um, but I am like so many other things besides a photographer and I like it that way. And so I don't know. It's just, I mean, yeah. I'm not even saying it's good or bad. It just is what it is, you know? Yeah, I think it's important to, like, car- just carve out your own lane. Because I think, like, like when I was younger, like I was saying, like, I'd look at these, like, motivational videos, and I'm like, I got to, like, do exactly what they did and, like, do right. that. And then I realized, like, oh, no, I don't. And, like, one thing that kind of stuck out in my mind, like, when I met that dude, the uh, Larry Fink, the photographer, 
And he's like one of those guys who he's constantly shooting, has his camera on him and he's just shooting his day to day. Like he could be shooting his breakfast or like there's some light coming into his kitchen or whatever. And I was just sitting, I was like, damn, I got to like do that more often. And he was like, why? Like, you don't have to like, yeah. this, this is what I do. And I was like, oh, you're right. Like, that's not like, you don't have to do that. Like y- you can just find your little fucking lane or whatever, you know? Totally. Yeah. I don't know about you, but like from doing my show, you know, the the more chances I get to like talk to all these photographers, uh, filmmakers, artists, whatever it is, you just like, you get to also figure out like all the different, like what that looks like in all its different forms. Yeah. Cause I think you're right when you're young and you're hungry and um, you're just getting little glimpses on like what it looks like, what you yeah. think it looks like, I guess, to be exactly. a photographer. It's hard, man. And you're like, yeah, I got to do all these things. And so the opportunity to talk to all these people and kind of see how everybody handles it differently. You're like, oh, yeah, just, you know, yeah. And and you just realize, like, it works. You know, yeah. like, whatever, I think like whatever works for you, then it works for you. And if it brings you some joy and it's paying the bills and then to me, man, that's success. You know, it's like for all the for all the legendary shooters I've had on my show, sometimes I have people on and they're like, that's crazy that you asked me and I'm like, you're wor- like, you're working, man. You know, it's like, I think to me, that means like you made it, man. If you're paying your bills and shit's taken care of and you're doing all that by pushing a button on a camera, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I don't know about you. Like, cause we've both been doing this a while and interviewed like hundreds of photographers, like, and like you, like I've gotten to interview all these guys who are like my idols and I looked up to, but right. honestly now, like I've been trying to like have more like younger people on and I, it's obviously awesome to have Dan Winters and Platon, all these guys and get to interview them. I'm so grateful, mm-hmm. but I get almost just as much satisfaction interviewing like someone who's younger, who's like, just like kind of getting yes. into it. And like, this has that like passion. Cause like, there's definitely like I don't know if you ever assisted, but like when I was assisting, you can see like dudes who are burnt out and like don't really give a shit anymore, which I, I get it. Like people move on or whatever, but like getting to talk to those younger people that are like still like this hyped at the beginning, man, that's just as awesome as talking to like some of these legends sometimes. Oh, t- I mean, I totally agree, man. Yeah. Although you said platinum and I still haven't gotten him on my show. So oh, you can do man. I had to, I had to like keep banging on that fucking door. So tell us of that one. Cause I love that dude. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And like, I made the mistake even for a while there where like I went on a run, this was uh, who, who knows how long ago, but I went on a run where it was just like big name after, yeah, big, yeah, yeah. after big name. Yeah. And you start thinking like, oh, I just got like nothing but legends now, you know, like that's all I want to talk to yeah and then you realize like you know at some point you got to follow this up with just somebody and and like you said they're all they're all important and and not only are they all important i totally agree with you when you talk to some you know 25 year old who's already killing it and who's just like you know hungry man yeah and they're still so excited and and you get to feed off some of that energy where there are some of those those real veteran shooters that are still super excited about doing it. But some of them you can tell, like, yep, they don't have that, you know, they don't have that drive and that energy that's infectious, like uh, a young person that's been on my show. No, definitely. I agree. And uh, I guess to go back, man, like, where did you grow up and like, how did you kind of get into photography initially? Yeah, it's a super roundabout story. I don't, you know, like I'm definitely not one of those people that just, found it early and that's you know like i have some of those people on my show where you're just like oh wow you had it all carved out in the eighth grade <laughs> or something you know like 
I did not, man. I went through a lot of like trial and error and, and criminality. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will say that like, you know, in, in hindsight, I think, you know, I have spent time like looking back and, and trying to figure out uh, not only what started like photography for me, but you know, where I just got turned on to like the way I look at things. Uh, I grew up in Kentucky, by the way, in like okay. rural kind of Appalachian area. Um, but early on, man, like my dad, uh, he carried, he bought a, he, he had a camera, he was in Vietnam and he had a camera that he carried around with him when he was in Vietnam. He's a pilot, a spotter pilot. And those guys were the guys that like flew the little Cessna planes right over the tree line and would, you yeah. know, like drop smoke bombs and stuff to, to yeah. let the fighter jet. So he would take all these pictures out of the side of his plane. Um, and then when we were growing up, he, he shot slide film constantly, and um we would do like family slideshows and at a pretty early age man i do remember like going through a lot of his vietnam slides and once again this is in hindsight i don't know that i was having these yeah yeah <laughs> big thoughts you know when i was you know seven eight years old but there was something there like the effect of like you know this moment in time being captured and we had national geographics around the house and and then i got real into skateboarding and and, and all the you know, artwork that came with that world and uh, punk rock and, 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 and on and on. But yeah, I grew up in like, a, a, it was a weird little town, man. It was, um, there was a big fortune five oil company there. That's actually who my dad worked for. He was a pilot for them, a private pilot. Mm -hmm. And so it was this weird mix of like, you had a ton of money from the oil company. You know, he had some of these execs that were multimillionaires and then some of the most extreme poverty in the country you know yeah. of that appalachian area uh so it was a i mean i liked it it was a cool place i didn't know any different obviously uh but it was a pretty cool place to grow up a lot of a lot of woods and the ohio river we were right on it you know were you like someone like as a kid like once you kind of got into your teens or like high school years were you like i want to get out of this place oh and God, yeah. yeah you were like yeah. i gotta get it <laughs> yeah i started running away a bit when i was in high school I mean, I was like a good student and stuff, but I got into drugs and shit pretty early. Uh, and my parents were pretty strict, um, pretty strict Christian. Mm -hmm. so we're super tight now. And and they were great parents, but like we definitely didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so I just started bailing all the time. And um, I started seeing, like I said, I was like real into like music period my whole life, you know, punk rock, early hip hop. Um, just like rock you know like i'm a, a child of the 90s and like late 80s and so you know just like radio stations you, it was like i grew up listening to 60s and 70s music because that's what they played on the radio you know along with all the shit that i liked yeah and so i just kind of liked everything but i started uh, i started seeing the dead in high school they were still touring uh it was like the last wave of jerry you know i mean i guess they're still touring but uh, Jerry was still alive and I started running away and seeing shows and, uh, and especially then, man, when I started going, you know, I mean, we traveled to like growing up, but especially then, and just seeing kind of a, a counterculture like that moving around the country, I was like, yeah, I got to get out of here, man. This, this town is, you know, there's nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you mentioned like skateboarding. I was always curious about that because you've had like a lot of like you've had Arto on and like Templeton and all these guys. And I grew up skateboarding myself. That was like my whole life. Like what what was like the skate scene in Kentucky like when you were growing up? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it was like it was there, you know, it was that weird time period though, where it was like between the death of Vert and the birth of like street, you know, and that in skateboarding just lost so much popularity so i remember like because i was super into it in middle school and i continued to like skate through high school but not as much but i remember the summer between my eighth eighth grade year and my freshman year of high school one of my friends he had gotten sponsored by uh, grind king oh yeah um and so he was like one of the local kind of legends of our crew you know like he was sponsored we thought it was so cool and then he went to high school and he quit skate, quit skating and started playing football. And we were just like, oh man, Alan quit skating. Like what the fuck, you know? Um, so, I mean, I think that just that story, like really represented, it was in a weird shift, you know, like it was definitely, it was definitely not cool at all to be a skateboarder around there. It was like that whole era of skateboarding is not a crime stickers. Or, yeah. <laughs> the Santa Cruz, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so but once again, in hindsight, you know, I just realized like how much art and photography and music was coming into my life via skateboarding, because especially in those early like middle school years, there were a couple people that I knew that had half pipes and we would hang out over there and all the older kids would hang out over there too. And, and one of my best friends, he had a, a big, like a big mini ramp, you know, it was like 10 foot wide. Uh, uh, actually, I think it was like 14 feet wide. Wow seven feet tall all transition no vert and just a huge crew would hang out over there and his older brother was like five years older than us and so it was just all like you know suicidal tendencies and black flag and skateboarding and thrasher magazine and to be in a small town in kentucky like that and be exposed to the world kind of through these little snippets of a magazine you're just like look at what's going on in the rest of the country you know yeah. like, i just wanted to be in you know san francisco or something yeah me too man like like 411 and trans world were like my bible man like i had yeah. never been to california i read like every little like checkout and like knew all like the spots like emb and i was like one day man i want to get there dude it was just yeah. like I think for me, skateboarding, the coolest thing about it, it's like this melting pot of like so many different people like that get into it from like this from different like uh, this from all over the place. And it's like even now, like if you if I go to San Francisco or like uh, different cities, like if you just show up at the local spot with your board, there's this like a like almost like a brotherhood or like this people. Kind of, it's just an easy way to connect. Like I remember any time I've ever moved. I instantly just go to the local skate shop and then start talking to the locals about like just getting to know the area and stuff. It's uh, that's what I always kind of enjoyed about it. Totally. Well, and I think too, man, like, you know, uh, something that comes up on my show all the time, especially with a lot of those guys you were talking about that, you know, it's like these skateboarders turned artists of any type, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think it breeds like this, this, um, this real DIY attitude, not only DIY of like, I can make it myself, but I can like push myself to do it, you know, because like the whole, the whole, I guess, trajectory of learning to skateboard, it's like, it's all on you, man. And the, and the reward of it 
I mean, unless you turn pro, which is probably not going to happen. Like, yeah, it's not that much, man. There's like a lot of risk versus just straight personal reward. And so I think there's something in there as well that just like it gives you like a work ethic and a drive to be like, you know, you eat shit down a six stair and yeah. pick yourself up and try it again, even though you like really just you know, you're pretty hurt and you're like, I think I can get it. And like I said, for the, just the reward of, of turning to your friends and be like, Oh shit, you know, like <laughs> I got it, you know? So yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. Cause like you interviewed Arto and he was like one of my favorite skaters of all time. And yeah, to watch that. that guy go from like, he was thrasher skater of the year one year, like this gnarliest dude. And to watch like what he's doing now with photography is like yeah. fucking incredible, man. And yeah. like you're saying, it's just like, put in that work and like shit can kind of happen you know yeah yeah i think i mean like i said i think there's something there there's a reason that like so many successful you know creatives specifically come from that world man because you can there's a lot of them you know in fashion (laughs) photography and filmmaking chefs yeah so many people have that backstory of skateboarding and look we're at an age where it's like yeah of course you skateboarded you know but Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely credit, um, that for a lot of, I think a lot of the, just the, it was one of my first taste of like a counterculture too, you know, and like this culture of like, we're not trying to be what our parents are, you know? And the thing about skateboarding specifically from like, I guess my generation is like, you look at all those guys and like, they really, it was like this Peter Pan thing, you know, it's like, none of them really grew up i guess like you know grew up quote unquote but um i love that man you have like you know when grant Britton came on my show it's like you know man he's like a grandpa but he still looks like a 15 year old skater and i love yeah dude, he's got the flat brim and he's like yeah he's, he's still out there shooting the skaters like, like at the pools out in san diego so cool, man so yeah. love that yeah definitely so like at what point did like photography kind of start to become like your focus? Cause obviously you said you're, you're kind of traveling around the seeing the dead and kind of seeing the country, but like when did photography kind of take over for you? Yeah. I got a camera early on. My dad actually gave me that camera. Back here. This is a Canon TLB. I don't really oh, know. Wow. I've never camera. seen that one. I got the AE yeah. one back here, but I never seen the T that one. Yeah, the TLB. Um, I, the AE1 was like the pro body. And I think this was more like a prosumer type, you know. Thing. Yep. Um, he gave me that camera when I was like a sophomore, I think, in high school. So, I mean, it was something that was around, man. I was taking pictures. I even like did a yearbook photography for a year. Uh, although I got kicked off that because I like the whole yearbook. <laughs> it's just like me and my friends. We just like... <laughs> We infiltrated every picture in the yearbook, you know? Um, So it was something I knew about, but it was never something I thought I wanted to do. I think another thing about growing up in a small town like that, then like pre internet and YouTube and Instagram is like, you just, you weren't exposed to like some of the cool things you could do in life. So you just looked around at like the adults and you're like, Oh, is yeah, this yeah. like these are the options? I don't like, really want to do any. Yeah, of this, it's like you, you know? can be a be a banker, business guy, or like be a tradesman or something like that. Pretty totally. much, yeah. yeah. But I was a big reader, and I was really into like Hunter S. Thompson and all the beat authors, and I was into a lot of like the, you know, like Ram Dass. I got real into Eastern 
mysticism and buddhism and zen and stuff at a pretty early age all via psychedelics if i'm being honest you know yeah. i started doing that at a really early age um and that also like it's funny man because i watch a lot of people on my show kind of skirt around that issue and i never really understood why because i have to credit psychedelics definitely with like a huge shift in the way i looked at the world you know like it, it was a reality breaking barrier where you just you look at a lot of the, the things that people seem to take so seriously and you're like maybe it's not that serious after all you know? yeah i never i never tried it like uh what is it like when you do it like what is it that it just kind of opens up your mind a little bit and this makes you kind of i don't know like i don't i've never like i said i've never experienced it so i guess what, what do you, yeah. you get out of it it's like ego death you know i mean depending on the dose you take i guess <laughs> but you know, I was young and taking very large doses. And by the way, I'm not promoting nah. everyone run out and try psychedelics. <laughs> but I can't also deny the effects that they had. And and it was, yeah, it was like a real early uh, glimpse into like egoless. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, like a real sense of just being in the present you know and so anyway uh i wanted to be a writer and that was like that was kind of my goal man i went to university of kentucky to study uh english lit and i just thought i don't know man i'll i'll go live adventures and be wild and and uh one day i'll write memoirs and they'll be cool because i'll have great stories to tell yeah and i think you know when you look at like and i love hunter s thompson and bukowski and all those guys but when you look at like the model they set they probably ruined so many lives you know if people oh, yeah, yeah dude i'm gonna be the next bukowski i'm gonna day drink my way into the next beautiful novel you know and so i think i got caught up in that that life for a while and i just was i was being wild and like i said i definitely got pretty into the drug scene and then uh the drug scene led to selling drugs um you know i started meeting a lot of people and they they seemed like they were making pretty good money and so i did that for quite a while man and like i said i think i was telling myself in my head like one day this is going to lead to like such a good book you know yeah, and yeah. so they were just wild stories you know i dropped out of school um and I just thought like the money's good, you know, like, and it was, you know, especially for 19, 20 years old, you're just like, this is crazy. You know, like I had plenty of money. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Um, and I started getting in trouble a lot. And um, I was still in Kentucky traveling a lot. Like I said, kind of cruising around the country constantly. Um, had a lot of friends in like New York and in Pittsburgh uh, so I hung out in the city a lot. And once again, the, that kind of like specifically like Kentucky has like a huge outdoor marijuana scene. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of involved in that. And uh, and that's why I would be in those cities a lot. <laughs> not a lot you know? <laughs> uh, but anyway, I kept getting in trouble. And so I decided to like, I, I got to be done with this, you know. And so I moved to Colorado. My sister had actually moved to Vail and she was living there already. And I moved to Colorado. That was 1998 and um, tried to stay out of trouble. Didn't really work very well. I definitely kind of got right back into the same scene out here. Mm -hmm. but when I got out here, man, I started meeting people. You know, I just wanted to snowboard and party, really, if I'm being honest. Um, 
but I started meeting people that were uh, shooting snowboarding and I got this job my first year out here I got fired from this job but I got a job with this company called sharpshooters and like Vail actually like has these guys that I like work for Vail but at the time it was like some company and they were just like you know they would position you at the top of lifts and you would grip and grand yeah totally you would accost people to try to take their pictures (laughs) And then you'd give them a card and they'd come down to the store afterwards and you try to upsell them on all these prints. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, on some big powder day, I like I left my post and I was just snowboarding all day and I got fired. So <laughs> that job didn't last very long. But anyway, that I mean, I will credit that job in the sense that like it was like it was kind of pushing me as, you know, the kind of hustler aspect of photography. And then mm-hmm. I started meeting all these people that were shooting snowboarding and and I started doing the same and and that's really where it started, man. I was just like, I wanted to be a, a snowboard photographer. And did you kind of just reach a point of like, like you said, like the partying, I think everyone goes through that in some level. Like I know myself, like most of my twenties, I was just like drinking, going to bars all the time. And I just reached a point where I was just like sick of it. Like, I was just like feeling like shit all the time. It's like, you're not like really accomplishing anything. Like, did you kind of reach a point with this, like partying and the drugs and stuff where you just were this kind of just wanted to be done with it? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Big time. Um, you know, as much as I like still stick up for psychedelics and mm-hmm. I think marijuana is like fairly harmless, I don't really smoke weed that much anymore, but you know, where I think where it really went wrong is like, I, for a while, man, I like dipped down the rabbit hole of a lot of opiates yeah. including heroin and all that shit. And I kept my shit together really well. You know, like I managed it well, people thought I was fine, you know, and like, I've always been one of those people that had a, a pretty high tolerance for things. And so, you know, I even kind of prided myself through the days of being able to get, you know, super wasted, but nobody really know, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, after several years of being, uh, in Colorado, in Vail specifically, and partying and snowboarding, uh, man, I was like super addicted to opiates. I, by then, it was mostly oxycotton, and I was just like, man, it was crazy how much I was taking. You know, we were we were making trips to Mexico just to get pills for us. You know, like not to sell. Yeah. Um, and it got gross. You know, it's just a gross behavior, and I really, you know, I just don't. I don't believe in those drugs at all. I think they're terrible. And, and I think the way they numb the pain, it's like they numb everything. And so I really just like for as, um, for as interested as I was in like spirituality and, and, and this feeling of like, we're all in this together with the psychedelics, all the opiates and the pills and stuff made me just like, I didn't give a shit about anybody but me for a long time, man. Like I kind of became a bad person. I, I mean, you know, just in the sense of like self, like I was a selfish asshole, you know? Oh yeah, but, man. You're this like in the clouds. Like I know, like, and it's, I think a lot of people, they don't realize once you go down that, that hole of like doing opiates and stuff, like, it's not just like, Oh, like don't do drugs. Stop doing it. Like my, my best friend, Ryan, he, he died at like uh, age 26 from that. Yeah. And he, it started off, you know, this being your twenties, drinking, smoking weed, partying and then it got into he's like oh i'll try this but then well you know those things just take over your fucking life like yeah yeah 
yeah and once again like man so many of my heroes were drug addicts you know mm-hmm. like all these artists and stuff that i've like really looked up to whether it was musicians i've always been a big fan of jazz yep um you know you just looked and you're like yeah like heroin you know that's what's up yeah and um like i almost like wanted to be a heroin addict for a minute you know <laughs> okay. yeah you know like yeah it it's like, like romantic cool. when you're reading about hunter s thompson like it's just yeah. like romantic but the reality of it like feeling like shit and like yeah gross. Yeah. yeah gross yeah. so anyway man i had like um i had some more legal trouble while i was out here i was taking pictures and um you know, it get published here and there, man, you know, yeah. like small publications. I got hooked up with this, uh, this magazine called heckler that was, Oh uh, yeah. I remember heckler. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, I was kind of like their Colorado guy for a little bit. Um, they came out here for a snowboard competition and I met the guys I was already submitting to them and stuff. And so, you know, I thought like I could probably, I, like, I think I can do this, you know, but I was still selling drugs. Cause it was easy money. You know, yep, I mean, I yep. think what really messed me up is um, there's something about like, if you come up as like a broke artist, yep. right. You know, like that whole starving artist thing. If you come up that way, you're, you're way more likely that you can sustain that, you know, living off nothing. Yep. But because I went from like, you know, making 10, 20 grand a, a pop damn at like age 18 uh to then like you know getting a hundred dollars for a magazine picture or something i was like this shit sucks you know like i was like i was ready to make money and so i think that part kind of like it it made me not um not really willing to be like as patient as you need to be to to find success in that world of like adventure photography but anyway i got in some trouble again i got my i cleaned up i went cold turkey off a terrible habit um and that was like 2000 either 2000 2001 can't mm-hmm. remember uh and that was it dude i like never i never looked back you know like i was done with that shit i was done with that life uh, and i was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make it as a photographer and i, I really started shooting just kind of outdoor adventure in general a lot of rock climbing you know, kind of the early downhill mountain biking scene, skateboarding. I'd covered some skateboard competitions for Heckler. You know, I was like gotten snowboarder and stuff like a couple times. Um, and I was, once again, I was just like, my wife had a good job at the time. Thankfully, she was working in like a management position for Vail Resorts. And so she okay. had benefits and a good job. But like, man, I was not and I would like take jobs, you know, I would work at restaurants and like yeah. dining places, wait tables. Uh, I managed a snowboard shop that didn't last that long. I was never that great of uh like, I, I hate working for other people, you know, like, <laughs> being on the clock. Like, yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm a good boss. I'm not a good employee, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I had a lot of jobs. I mean, I wasn't scared to take jobs and work and I was a pretty good bullshit artist. Like I could just, you know, I could usually get a job. Like I was a good interviewer. Um, so I took a lot of jobs and I started, a a magazine with someone else. It was called unveiled magazine. And that was cool. It was a learning experience as far as like really putting a published publication together. It was a local magazine. We were doing like 10,000 copy runs at first and we got bigger and then we tried to go regional. Um, 
what was that like is it because like to actually make a magazine and like make money from it is a lot of the job like because you obviously have to find advertisers and were you just trying to find like local like people to advertise in it or like how did how did that work yeah just all the local bit at first it was just like all the local businesses at the time um and there i think they actually came back but at the time there was a magazine called mountain gazette Mm -hmm. and it was like a regional magazine kind of you know colorado wyoming i'm trying to think of like where where all they existed but when we went regional we thought like we could maybe compete with them and i raised a bunch of money we did this like lingerie runway show (laughs) that like was all you know it's like we put all this stuff together you know just like do these big parties and raise money but um, my partner and it was this girl who's a journalist. She had, you know, gone to school for journalism and her boyfriend was like this day trader guy, you know? And, um, it turns out he was like taking people's money, man. He was not Fuck, like, yeah. a legit guy. So he was paying for a lot of stuff. We had this cool office and it was fun for a while, but then he just bailed. And unfortunately he did it right before our first, uh, regional publication went out mm-hmm. and I had sold all these ads, you know? So like people had my cell phone number and, uh, yeah, it was a mess, man. It really made me look bad. Cause then people were calling just like, Hey, uh, when's that ad come out? And I had to be like, I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, like, oh my I, God, this guy that was funding everything just bailed, you know, like he's gone and he, and he took a bunch of people's money with him, you know? And so, um, but anyway, it was, it was cool. Just like kind of seeing, um, especially in an editorial sense, like how images live and kind of where like for design and stuff, you know, like it helped me, I think, compose and, and frame, mm-hmm. but right about that time, man, I started, like, I just wanted to, I just didn't want to have a job anymore, like a job job, you know? And so I started taking on, I started shooting weddings uh, portraits, whatever I could do. And once again, like I was a pretty good hustler. I knew how to like sell, you mm-hmm. know, like I could do that part. Um, and so I started doing okay pretty quickly. I started booking weddings and, and, uh, and I was just talking about this with somebody else, uh, on my show because it was like a, it was like a back and forth I had with some of my snowboard photographer friends and skateboard photographer friends that were just like, dude, you're shooting weddings. Like, can't believe like that's stupid you know and i was like man you're tending bar at night like i just want to like i want to use this tool and make money with it like skateboarding's to- always had that attitude of like like oh you're gonna be sponsored by like monster or whatever who gives a fuck they're gonna pay you money <laughs> <laughs> like it's always had uh-huh. always had that attitude like i get it like i don't know man it's funny like in photographers like that too dude like like fucking shoot weddings man make money and then use that money to like do your other shit yeah yeah man so like anyway that magazine went away and then i was just like i was struggling man you know and my wife got pregnant my son with my son uh he's about to turn 17 years old so this was all this was all about 17 years ago and she was pregnant and i just saw the writing on the wall you know i was like i've got nine months to make this dream a reality or I'm going to like be at some desk job that I hate to support yeah. my family. Cause I knew I wasn't going to like let my kids down, you know, like, so I knew I would do whatever it took to put food on the table and be a good dad. And that yeah. probably meant quitting photography. Mm-hmm. And so I told myself like, you got nine months, man, like figure it out. And I was just looking around at like what this place that I live in had to offer 
and it's all resorts extremely expensive homes you know like for the people that have four five ten homes you know it's like some of the wealthiest people in the world um and and nice restaurants and i just thought like it seems like everybody that's in the kind of housing based industry whether it's architects interior designers real estate agents they were all money Money. yeah Uh, and i just thought maybe i'll i'll start shooting architecture um, and I just started messing with it, man. Uh, you know, and, and once again, I think I, I talked a good enough game to like get myself in the door uh, at a few places. And I started building enough of a portfolio. I got hooked up with this real estate company that was, they were willing to like pay pretty decent rates, honestly, especially, you know, I hear some of the horror stories of people just not making any money in that world. Yeah, dude. I, I, yeah. I, I've seen a lot of They'll be like, I'll try I'll pay you like a hundred bucks. <laughs> like some shit like this. Like what? <laughs> oh man. They were paying me like 200 bucks an image, like yeah. in the beginning, you know? And yeah. so I just thought, well, this is great. You know? Mm-hmm. And I started really trying to build a portfolio. And then I had this mentor. He was uh, Jack Affleck. He was the very first guest I had on my show. And at the time, and for many years, he was the director of photography for all of Vail Resorts. Uh, So he hired all the photographers and I started hanging out with him. I started getting some work with Vail Resorts um, and he helped me in a lot of ways. He really helped me as just like, you know, the business of it and kind of playing the game of it. And um he got me a chance to get my portfolio in front of this group called Rock Resorts, which they were a big resort group at the time. They're, they're no longer. And uh, man, I just lucked into this job. My wife was like, she was maybe two months away from giving birth. And I booked this job that was like 25 grand. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. I wasn't ready for it either, but like, I got it. You know? Yeah. What do you remember about that? Cause like when you go from making whatever a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and then you make this jump where it's a big job. Do you remember being like this completely overwhelmed, nervous, oh like all yeah. of them? Yeah. yeah. I can't believe it. I was like, how much this is crazy. <laughs> you know? Uh, and it was me and this buddy and we teamed up on it. And, um, and I just saw, it was like the first time that I really saw the potential of like, oh, there, there could actually be real money in this. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Rock Resorts was using this guy who was a national photographer and he was making a ton of money. And um, and I just thought, I want to be that guy. You know, like he goes around because they had resorts all over the world at the time. And he was their main guy. I just lucked into this job. I don't think he wanted it, you know, because it ended up like the places I was shooting were pretty run down, like old Keystone area, like Keystone Breckenridge area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the money was great. And um, my wife, she really wanted to be a stay at home mom. And uh, yeah, I went home and I was just like, just quit your job. She was like on maternity leave, you know, and we were living off her benefits and shit. And I was like, just quit your job. I think I can do this. You know? Wow, man. That takes guts, dude. This is like- <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. But she wanted it so bad, man. And I wanted it for her. And um, I was like, yeah, fuck it. You know, let's like, I, I can do this, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, like I said, my, my son turned 17 next month. So that was 17 years ago. And and um, she actually still does have a job. So it's, like, it's been going, it's been going good. She, she homeschooled our kids. I mean, my son went to high school when he was a freshman, but she ended up homeschooling both of our kids. And um yeah. I mean, she's got a, a very full-time job. It just doesn't. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 
and with like architecture because this is like a, a section of photography i really don't know much about like like who's your client as an architectural photographer is it just the architects themselves is it builders obviously you mentioned the resorts like who like who who are like clients or who are, who are the people you're marketing to as an architectural photographer to find work yeah it's all of those you know i mean i think the to to this day like my biggest clients are mostly architects and interior designers hotels i shoot a lot of hotels uh less so actually these days but um but yeah, in the early days, man, it was, I was shooting a ton of real estate stuff. You know, it was all like pretty, I mean, I think where I got lucky is because of where I live. It's like, you know, the real estate is 10, $20 million homes, you know? So like, if you're, if you use that opportunity, right. And you really try to make a portfolio out of it, I was getting access to some incredible places. Mm-hmm. And that led to that rock resorts job because I was taking it all really seriously. And I was really trying to make it look as good as I possibly could uh, way more so than I think the real estate agents cared, you know, like, I don't, I don't think they saw that much of difference, but I just, I was trying to make a portfolio. And then once the rock resorts thing happened, I started shooting for them a decent amount, which led to some hotel stuff in my portfolio. Um, and then in 2005, no, I'm sorry. That's when my son was born. So 2008, I think. Yeah, it was like a few years later. So like I said, 2005 was when it really started happening. I told my wife to quit her job. 2008, um, I got picked up by this agent out of New York. And then she definitely helped me like see the light as far as like what my book should look like at a national level. You know, like it's still, I was making, I had already like, you know, for a few years thought like, I'm making pretty good money here, you know? Um, but then we started shopping my book at like a national level. And it like, you know, it was, it was some of the first times in my life where I just heard like terrible rejection, Yeah, <laughs> like horrible things said, but I just took it all in stride and I was willing to go like, okay, like, let's, let's change it then. Like, what do I need to do? And it, and it was when I really started paying more attention to, you know, like all the home magazines, Architectural Digest, El Decor, all that shit, uh, and and really focusing on that. And um, and then once it got probably about that same time, man, I started building some relationships that I have to this day. And, and fortunately, it was with some architects that were young and they were doing good work and willing to pay a, a pretty solid day rate. Um, but then they've exploded and I've been there with them for the last... Wow. 12 years or something so it's like we i've had these very long relationships with some architects that became pretty successful honestly i was talking to my friend the other night we were just talking about like um i don't know i feel like because i've been this is like my 14th year working in the business like from going from being an assistant to you know pa whatever all these different jobs to shooting whatever i feel like if you can find a way like half of like the success if you can find a way to like stay in the game the longer you do it, like you start, you just start to build this Rolodex of more clients and people start to know you, you know, it's not yeah. like, I feel like that's even in the last couple of years, like it's gotten a little easier for me. Like that first, like seven, eight years, man, at least for me, was like a fucking grind. Like I told you when you interviewed me, yeah, I was like working uh -huh. on shit jobs, but like you can like find a way just to like this fucking stick through it. Like, I think it feels like it gets a little bit easier the longer you're in it. 
Oh, for sure, man. And I think all those shit jobs, like they mean something. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm excited for the kids that have overnight success. You know, like I'm not a hater, like good for them, man. Get that bag, man. Get it. (laughs) But I think there is something to be said about like that slow grind because it just makes you appreciate it so much more. You know, like I'm still trying to figure it out, man. And I've been like, I've also like done it for long enough and, and the money's been good enough that I have a very comfortable life. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, needs, yep. I guess, like they're met. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. You know, it's like, I, like, I don't know that it ever goes away, but I think because of that slow grind and like, it makes you uh, patient to think like the, it continues, you know, it's like, I want, there's a lot of things I still want to do for sure. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate that it, it took a while and then I took some shit jobs. I mean, I remember early on, dude, like during that time when she was pregnant, we bought our first house. Um, and it was just like, we were in debt, man. And you know, it was scary, you know, like we were, it's stressful. It's a lot of stress, a lot of stress, dude. And, uh, I walked around this neighborhood of this house. I made some flyer about like family portraits and I walked around that neighborhood and knocked on every single door and offered my services to wow. shoot. And like, I didn't want to do that shit. It was terrible and like embarrassing, you know? Yeah. But I think that's like, I was willing to do whatever it whatever. took. Yeah, yeah, like it didn't matter. Once again, I just, I wanted to, to be a photographer and like, I wanted to be paid to be a photographer. I didn't want to have some other job and also call myself a photographer. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Um, it's just, that's not what I wanted. And so I just, I swallowed my ego and was willing to just take whatever shit job I could take. And when I took them, I tried to do the very best job I could yep. and use that as a potential for growth and, you know, to, to build more clients. And to your point, as far as like those managing those relationships, I think that's why I've had the career I've had, man, is like, you know, I try to treat people like I want to be treated. I'm, I'm nice. I'm pretty easy to get along with. And I always try to do the very best I can, you know, like I don't take for granted that these people are willing to pay my day rate Mm -hmm. and, and there's no shortage of image makers out there, you know? So I really feel honored to, to be picked. And so I'm just trying to do the best. Yeah, man. I still get excited. Even like the littlest job, like I, and that email comes in, I'm like, yes, it's like, it's, 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 it's still right. exciting. Like every time I'm like, all right, I'm still in the game, baby. <laughs> you know? Uh, but you touched on one thing I think is the kind of smart is that when you're like in a smaller market, like I'm in a smaller market, I'm in Boston, not in New York or LA. You, you mentioned like, you kind of looked around the economy that was around you. And then you kind of work, it's almost like you work backwards, which I think is kind of smart. Like, cause I think a lot of times it's easy. Like when you're in a a different market, that's not New York or LA, like you, it's like different. It's just a different, like you have to have a different mindset or way you approach your business. You think this being in a different, like smaller market like that. For sure. Yeah. I think it's important, man. And then once again, like, it depends on what you want out of it Mm -hmm. because from doing my own show, I think. I probably could have had success in the world of action sports photography. I don't know that I really wanted it, you know, like it, it once again, this is all in hindsight as I look back at yeah. the way it all worked out. Um, but I also, I'm honest enough with myself to say I wasn't willing to put in the time that it took because I've talked to all those guys. Like I've had all those guys on my show 
And it's a very similar story. It's like, I was poor as shit for like 10 plus years. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. shit started popping off and it became something. And I just, I didn't have that time to be broke, you know, mm-hmm. or I wasn't willing to have it, you know? And so, so yeah, I think I looked at it more in a, as a, a business sense. It was like a real point of contention with me for a while. And I've talked about it on my own show probably too many times, but like, you know, a, a common theme, and I'm sure people say it on your show too, that would come up constantly from all these different people that I've talked to is just like, just shoot what you love, mm-hmm. shoot what you're passionate about, and then it will figure itself out. And I started having like some real doubts of myself of just like, is that what I did though? You know, like, did I just sell out? Did I, was I just like, I'll just shoot with, you know, shoot whatever pays. And honestly, man, I think, you know, like part of my, part of that story is like when I quit partying and quit all the drugs and, and all the dumb shit, I got real heavily into meditation. I started going to Zen retreats. I studied with all kinds of teachers and meditation became a, a giant part of my life. Um, and now when I look at architecture and what that offers, it's a very like quiet, introspective form of photography. Honestly, man, you don't have like big sets. There's not models. There's not art. I mean, the hotel work has art directors and stuff, but you know, I've built relationships with some of these architects where it's literally like, I won't even bring assistance, man. They're just like, you go, you can have this house for four days and you're getting paid every day. And we want to see it through your eyes. And it's, it's pretty meditative. Yeah. That's actually what I was interested in asking about because you're obviously a people person. You wouldn't have a podcast where you interview the strangers every week for years on end. Right. So you're, you're obviously enjoy talking to people, being around people, but then your creative thing, like you said, it's a very solitary thing. So it's kind of like, it's like two different worlds. It seems like your personality a little bit. It is. And I think it, that kind of reflects my personality, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty introverted in the sense that like, I'm a people person in the sense that I can, I can talk to whoever and I don't, I'm not awkward about it and I'm not shy about it. And I'm confident in my ability to talk to strangers. But as far as like the way my kind of internal battery gets charged, it's in quiet time you know Mm -hmm. it's like reading books or like quiet spaces yeah so i'm an introvert in that sense and so i think um that's the architecture work but honestly i mean once again that was like one of the reasons you know i started the podcast is like i didn't because i live in the mountains and i do like i have a, a cool network of like some creative friends out here but not like if i lived in new york or la or something and so I wanted that, you know, yeah. like I wanted that space to like be able to feed off the energy, like you said, of the young guy that's crushing it or, you know, some, some girl that just like came out of nowhere and is doing all this cool work, you know, like I want to feed off that energy. And so that's the podcast. And now I feel like I have kind of the best of both worlds. I have like this quiet meditative space that is architecture work. And that's mm-hmm. not always true. You know, like yeah. I said, if I'm doing a a Ritz Carlton shoot, it's hectic, you know, there's people everywhere and it's stressful. And, but some of it is, you know, I just did a shoot recently where it was just, it was literally just me in a 20,000 square foot home. That's <laughs> insane. Yeah, dude, you've gotten to see like some, this looking at your site, like I'll link it and people go check it out once, once I post a podcast, but like the house, like 
I don't even know like houses like this existed. Like, you know what I mean? They're right. out there, but they're always probably in like private communities. So you can't even access or even drive by them. It's like the stuff you've gotten to see is just like insane. Like it's like, I would imagine sometimes you must walk in these homes and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like <laughs> every day. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like numbing after a while. It's cool. Like I am a big fan. And once again, kind of part of that, uh, me working through like my decision to be an architecture photographer, I am a big fan of architecture and design and kind of always was really, you know, especially a lot of like mid-century modern stuff. Um, I love that stuff, but um, the world I kind of play in, it's like, man, you're talking about like the top 0.0001% yeah. of wealth <laughs> in the world. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's like it's a hard existence to live in. So you just realize like the level of wealth, and you're just like, wow, man, this is this is it, it's it's numbing because you're you know you're just you're dealing with budgets that you it's hard to wrap your head around. And some of these places, it's like some of these homes I'm in, man. You know, it's a ten thousand square foot home that would sell for twenty million dollars or something, and people like spend Christmas there. Yeah, know? that's the most insane part, dude. Like they, yeah. it's an insane house that they don't even like. They're not even there. Like I just did a shoot on Martha's Vineyard on Tuesday. We yeah. this crazy house, and they they basically they spend a few weeks there. I'm like, this is crazy. Crazy. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around, and you just like, you know, I've lost all like realistic forms of. uh of financial success <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, uh, i broke yeah. a lamp i broke a lamp i was doing this shoot in texas uh recently it's the first time i've broken anything in so long man like I've, i think i've only broken two things in a house ever and i carry an insurance policy and all that shit a big one it's you easy know, to like, do because i I remember i did a shoot like not to cut you off but i did a shoot for what was it one of those like tv shows like uh i don't know there was like a home renovation show and uh -huh. just moving moving gear and lights and stuff it's easy to like bump in a wall bumping and shit like it's like it's incredible you only have have it happen to you a couple of times oh my god anyway I, I i knocked off this lamp man i caught it kind of but then it the way i caught it it snapped like the base from the top of it and everything and i was just like oh man we were it was basically the end of the shoot. I was running around trying to get like this dusk stuff on the outside and I ran in to fix this lamp and, and I broke it. And I was talking to the designer and she's just like, you know, don't worry. It's, it's really not that like that bad. And I was like, I, you know, what do you mean though? When you say not that bad. And she was like, I think it was like 6,200 bucks. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just tell me a lamp? And it was just a lamp. Dude. But I mean, 6,200 like, bucks of those people is just like a dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. man. so just shit like that, where you're like, this is ridiculous, you know, but it's cool, man. And it, you know, like in a design sense, um, you know, I'm inspired by it, you know, especially with architects and, and a lot of interior designers, you know, it's like, um, it's a weird mix. Cause it's like your job to capture someone else's art form, you know? So it's like a collaboration of this is the way I see this space that you spent so much time designing. And like, what kind of projects like pique your interest these days? Like, obviously is looking at your site, you've gotten to do incredible hotels and these homes and but like what when you get the call these days what, what kind of gets you excited that's a good question um i don't know man i mean you know sometimes it's like when you when you get there you know like i like to like kind of live with the space for a second before i really start breaking out equipment and 
you know, if I'm lucky, I get to do a walkthrough, but I don't always, you know, a lot of times it's just like the places in this location, you got to travel to get there. And, mm -hmm. um, so I like to just kind of sit with it and see, see the way the light plays with it. And, um, but I don't know, man, I think, you know, the doing the show has like encouraged me to, to fall in love with photography again you know mm -hmm. like that was the other that was the big impetus of the podcast is like I had I had turned a, lo a love of photography into just like a job mm -hmm. you know? it was a good job and I liked my job but it was a job and I had lost that passion of like picking up my camera and taking pictures of random objects that I had when I was like had my dad's old camera you know and taking shitty film pictures um and so doing the show like has inspired that in me. I was having this conversation. I don't remember who I was talking to. Um, and I've gotten better about just, you know, like I've got a little Fuji X Pro 3 that's like my daily kind of driver. And I love just like taking random photos that I probably won't show anybody, you know, like it'd be cool, man. Like even this, like to throw like a little section on your website or something, because I think it like shows a little bit of your personality a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I know. I, I think... love that stuff. Even like some of my friend photographer, my friend, Aaron Smith, he's a photographer in LA talented dude. Like he mostly shoots like commercial lifestyle advertising, but he has like a section on his website where it's just like, he, I think he calls it weekly. And it's literally just that it's like, it could be pictures he took on his cell phone or like some little point and shoot. And I just like, I almost get more excited about that shit than like oh. the professional stuff. Cause it's like, Oh, I want to <laughs> see what that dude's up to. Like, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You're right, man. I think you, it's hard when you get, um, you get like self-conscious about like showing people stuff, you know, it's like you build a certain look or something. You're like, I don't know, man. I'm like, yeah. It's like, you feel like everything needs to be like, yeah. that's the way almost like Instagram. I basically treat it like a portfolio, but then yeah. like, Half the time, like when I post the most random shit, like on my story, that will get the most engagement. It could be like some piece of pizza I, I got or like whatever. And like people get more excited about that shit than like well, my like professional, like perfect, like whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you get this on your show. But like, you know, a big thing I started learning was just like the amount of commercial work that people were booking off like weird personal projects you know yeah. like stuff that you would think like really they booked you off that you know and they're like, <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy and so i think you're right i mean i think it gives an art director art buyer whoever like some insight into kind of your the way you see things and you live in a cool place like for you like where this is why i always tell people like for you like where you live like you, you've been there for a long time and like you drive down the street like it's just like normal but for me, like if I saw whenever I get to see someone like my friend Aaron lives in L.A., it's like it's just a different like landscape and different city. And I like getting to see it because like my day to day is just boring because I've been here forever. But yeah. probably if I post a picture of this, people would be like, wow, that's really cool. Like New England, like old houses. Like I was <laughs> yeah. thinking that the other day. I was like, man, I got to like shoot some more of this like cool New England shit because it's just there's so much history to it. But I take it for granted because I've just, I'm just always been here. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's something you know, you get jaded to like your daily surroundings and like, I've got like view. I mean, I can look out my studio window and see like the New York mountain range out there. You know? Crazy so, dude. <laughs> um, it is cool. You know, I mean, some of it, like, it's just funny. Cause you're so right, man. It's like, I like, I'll, I'll drive to Denver, which is close, you know, but it's like, I'll drive to Denver to go take city shots. Cause I'm yeah. bored, uh, 
looking at mountain towns and a lot of this area it's like it's become so kind of disney-fied by Vail resorts and stuff you know it became like such it used to like have like a kind of local flair about it and and just more and more so like as billionaires move in you know it just it fancy condos and shit that's like boston there's like a section in boston it's called the seaport district like it used to like basically my whole life it was just kind of like a it was basically it's like an industrial area there's nothing down there it was like there's like fish processing plants and like truck warehouses and shit like that but Mm -hmm. they just in the last like 10 15 years they've completely renovated it and it's all this like luxury condos like thirty six hundred dollars for like a seven hundred square foot apartment and like fancy ass restaurants but like it has no personality it feels like when you go there it's just like a warehouse i feel like i'm like at like a costco neighborhood or some shit whereas opposed if you go to old boston that's like the real shit you know holy and yeah yeah. it's funny too because it's like i feel like such a hypocrite sometimes because even like Vale, like Vale resort you know like there's kind of the Vale village side and then there's what's called the lion's head side it's all like Mm -hmm. ski mountain area Vale they basically tore that whole place down and rebuilt the whole thing. And I loved like what it used to be, you know, when I first got here, it felt very local and there were like some dive bars even that tourists didn't go into. And, but at the same time, like I shot every single, like I got hired by the four seasons. I got hired by the Arabelle. I got hired by, you know, like every resort that got built there, I was doing, I was booking like week long projects. That was like 20 minute drive from my house. It was amazing. (laughs) Uh, and I hate them at the same time. You yeah, know? I get it, man. It's the, yeah, it's a double edged sword. It's like, oh, the new shit pays my bills, but then it's like <laughs> it loses a little bit of that personality. But I get it. Yeah. Um, and I guess a little, a few more questions. I'll let you go. But oh, like, dude, yeah. Yeah, I, like we kind of talked about the podcast a little bit, but like when you started your podcast, were you like a big podcast listener, kind of consumer of podcasts, or like yeah. what was kind of impetus? Like you kind of mentioned a little bit, like starting your show yeah yeah visual revolutionary by the way everybody check oh yeah I'll, I'll tag it all that people go check it out <laughs> he's got all the good all the big interviews uh all the ones all the ones uh that you have as well you know so. i'm not sure you got seliger man i haven't interviewed him oh yeah that was a big <laughs> one for me yeah big he was someone that i did de- like you know once again in hindsight where it's like he represented so much like visual input coming in for me, man. I was a Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone subscriber for years. And it was just like, man, he was like, the, you know, the yeah. eyes of that magazine for so long, especially the cover. Yep. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I said that the the show, you know, started out of really a desire to kind of re-inspire, you know, my own love of photography. It's just really burned out, man. I think it happens to everybody. It's It's a question I ask on my show at the end of pretty much every episode is like, do people face creative burnout? And and if so, how do they, how do they deal with it? And what I've learned from most people is they, they, they shoot a lot of personal projects and I wasn't, you know, like I got into this mindset of like, it costs this much money for me to, to shoot. And if mm-hmm. you're not paying that, I'm not interested. Yep. And because I had that stupid attitude for a while, um, I missed the opportunity to shoot a lot of cool projects that I should have just shot for free, you know? And, yep. and, um, you know, it just started feeling like a job I was basically clocking into and, and, uh, yeah, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was listening to Marin, Mark Marin's podcast early on and, and like the early Rogan stuff and, um, and I liked Marin specifically his kind of recipe of like that, 
how do you grow up where are you from like get, really getting to know people you know yeah. and um you know in my naivety i didn't think anyone else was doing that in the photography space and yeah. i was confident enough to go like i'm reinventing a photography podcast you know <laughs> turns out ibari and x was already doing that for like 15 years <laughs> <laughs> uh but i went head first into it and yeah i've been doing it ever since i'm trying to remember when i even started it was like 2015 i think 14 maybe and didn't didn't you start with a co-host at first yeah kevin who he was kind of my right hand man my dp for all our we do a lot of commercial video uh stuff and um yeah man he he studied uh filmmaking and sound design at scad and so he was able to come in and just be like, this is how you do good audio. And, you know, this is how you edit audio. And after we did it for a while, he was like, look, dude, this is kind of your thing. I don't mm -hmm. you know, like really need to be here anymore. I feel like I've shown you how to do it. And, you know, the timing kind of worked out. We had, you know, like I've, I've had a few moments throughout the show where it's like I disappear for a couple months because I get real busy with shooting. Yep. And as you know, it's hard to do this, man. It's like hard to to juggle this fairly time consuming podcast with also running a successful photography studio. And so we had gone through one of those lulls and it was the longest one ever. It was kind of a bummer. Cause I had, I had had Jason Lee on mm -hmm. and the numbers really went up and then I just fucking <laughs> disappeared for months, you know? And so, yeah, when I came back, uh, Kevin, my co-host was just like, I think you got it now, you know? And, Hmm. and uh, i've tried to keep it going man it's it's a it's a chore sometimes but it's a chore i love doing and so yeah weekly is hard man like i was doing weekly for like first four years and now i've kind of like slowed down a little bit like i think i'm just gonna try to do every other week because like you said man it's just like weekly is tough because like it's not like even when you say weekly if you're trying to do a weekly episode you end up doing like multiple interviews a week a lot of times because of is this how it like lines up to have that many going at a time so, yeah yeah yeah, just all the work that goes into, as you know, trying to get people on the show, trying to juggle your own schedule with with someone else's schedule, cancellations, you know, mm -hmm. good Lord, how many times I'm sure you're the same way The people like cancel on you last minute. Well, I did it to you like the other day. I was like, yeah, hey, job came in. I got to move it. Uh, today. <laughs> caught me in a good week. So I wasn't the least bit upset, you know, but I'm sure it's like and I'm just used to like whatever man that's part of it. like i used to once again i think in the early days like part of my ego was just like you know what the fuck and um the podcast has been great for my ego because it's very humbling you know you're the last on everybody's list man like they oh, yeah. really they don't give a shit about your show and they're doing you a favor and that's the way i look at it i'm like these people are doing me a favor by coming on my show and you know, i will bend over backwards and try to work around however my schedule allows especially when you're talking about someone you know, oh, yeah. like Seliger or something where you're just like, this dude doesn't, he's not going to gain anything from doing my podcast. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and do you feel like, do you feel like it did it take you a while to get comfortable, like being an interviewer, like has your approach to like interviewing people like changed, like this your, I guess how you approach, it, I guess. Um, yeah. I, th I mean, I hope I've gotten better, you know, mm -hmm. like I, th I think I talked to like, probably during this interview i've talked too much you know like uh and that's that's something i had to work on early on you know like um it's you know like i'm still learning man but i think i've gotten better at like getting out of the way 
and letting my guests talk, you know, and not feeling like I need to, you know, constantly interject some mm -hmm. personal story. Yeah. Even sometimes when I do, like I'll cut them out, you know, because the problem is like sometimes, and I'm once again, I'm sure you've experienced this. It's like sometimes people, you know, they give you shit about doing that and, but they don't, they have an experience of like, you know, you set someone up with like some long thought out question and then they just go, yep. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Like you, yeah, it is like a song and dance. Like, and one thing I don't know about you, but like the thing I learned from like interviewing all these people and I'm not even the best at it, like having the ability to talk about your work and like your process is like a skill. Like, oh yeah. like, like Dan Winters, like, that dude's the best at it He's like he, he, yeah. it, 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 just talking like i'm not good like i know what i do like i know how to take pictures but like talking about it is hard so i don't i don't get mad when people like freeze up because i understand it but that's I, I guess i didn't realize that until i started interviewing people that like having the ability to talk about your work and explain it to people is like such a skill and important to do i think in terms of like when you're working commercially you know yeah. Well, and I think like with my show, man, I wanted people to tell me like the dirt, you know, like when they were young and mm -hmm. like I was telling you, like, I, yeah. I don't know, man, I was a scumbag for a minute, you know, but like, I want to hear about that. And I think it's important for other people to hear that you didn't like come out of the womb all freshly polished, like you're trying to sell yourself. And yeah. so sometimes it's like, I'm, I'm trying to tell some personal anecdote to get the other person to also share some personal anecdote with me. Um, but you know, like, I, I think I've become a better listener because of the show, but you know, it's, um, it's still, it's an ongoing evolution. I think I'm still it's learning. Tough. I always love, I mean, I, I always, even before podcasts were a thing, like I always loved watching interviews like Larry King, like for me, like that guy was like the best interview because of that reason. Like if you watch his interviews, he rarely like interjects himself. He literally just like has like good questions. And he asks them and he lets the person go and I'll right. even like. I try to get better at that. Like if there is a pause, like don't freak out, like take a breath yeah. mm -hmm. and then see what they say. Cause, but it is, there's like that moment, like when you first start, you're like, you, if there's like a moment of pause, you think you like need to interject, but I'm trying to get better at like, just let it breathe. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard to do. <laughs> um, but letting, I was letting it breathe after you said there that. There you go, dude. <laughs> Joke. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to be quiet the whole time. <laughs> fucking jokester. Um, and like how do you generally prepare when you're when you're doing an interview are you do you like do a lot of research or you just kind of look at their website real quick or like how do you kind of prepare when you're gonna like interview somebody um probably not good enough um like man i'm pretty good on my toes i think i can just talk to people but yeah i mean i'm prepared enough i listen mm -hmm. to your show sometimes because they've probably done <laughs> it already you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, I look to see if they've done a podcast because that makes life way easier and I can just like do the dishes or something and listen to the person talk and, you know, learn about them a little bit and, but yeah, I do some research. I mean, yeah, I look at their work. I look at their Instagram feed. I look at their website. I look at their client list and, and at least try to, you know, kind of wrap my head around like what they've done and stuff, but you know, prepare. I think I, I want to be prepared enough, but I've, I've noticed like some of the times, especially early on when I had like some legendary shooter, I would like, I'd get real prepared, man. You know, like I'd make notes and shit, have them all out in front of me, like, you know, really wanting to like do a good interview. And then I felt like I was like trying to drive the conversation based off shit I'd written down and just let, instead of just letting the conversation. Yeah. Flow. It gets like too clunky when you're trying yeah. to do that. Yeah. It's tough.
So I, I, I feel like as long as I know enough about them, you know, like it, it, the conversation is going to go wherever they want it to go anyway, you know, and so like it, I don't need to, uh, to push too many points, but it's nice to like, I, I mean, in all honesty, like I love, I love seeing someone that most of my recent guests have all done your show. And so <laughs> I love it when I see that they've been on photo banter, cause I'll just <laughs> listen to that, you know, and, and cause it gives me a good idea of like, uh, their voice and their kind of speaking rhythm and stuff, you know. Which yeah, and like is- how comfortable they're going to be, like getting interviewed yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I can, I can see that. that makes sense. And like, what do you feel like? What do you think you've like learned most from like getting the opportunity to like speak to like all these hundreds of people? I mean, I think the biggest thing is just like that we all, a couple things. One of the biggest things is we all doubt ourselves, you know, it's like we all deal with that imposter syndrome of like, who the fuck am I to, to be here? You know, like it's definitely something I deal with every day, you know, like recently, man, I had a project. It was a big project. I got paid. Well, it was like a four day shoot and um, it had so much content in it. It was video production, like a hundred photos. I edited it forever. You know, it took mm-hmm. forever to finish it. And I think, cause I was like, so in the rabbit hole of the edit, I just started being like, man, this just sucks. You know, like, I just like, this is no good. You know, Mm -hmm. I was kind of down on myself and really had one of those moments of just like, man, I'm just not very good at this, you know? And then I turned the project over and everybody involved in it was ecstatic and loved the work. And you're like, oh yeah, I guess it's okay. And so I think when I talk to some of these people, even like the Dan winners and stuff out there, they seem to question their own, of validity of you know for their job and yeah it just makes you feel better about yourself or like oh yeah we all like i think unless you're just a a total narcissist then most most likely you uh you don't think you're that good all the time yeah man i remember like when i interviewed emily sure i don't know if you're familiar with her work yeah sure she's a badass dude and she was like even like she's like yeah man like i i have that self-doubt all the time like i'm like I was like, never would think that because like she's shooting like the biggest stars and key art for all these shows. And I'll be like, yeah, it's just like you make up this like thing in your mind of like what you think these successful people are like. But in reality, they're still dealing with the same like self-doubt or whatever. Totally. It was the, you know, like I said, when I was listening to Marin's podcast early on before I even started mine, you know, sometimes you'd have like some celebrity on and they they would have that attitude. And you're like, oh, my God, this person's like, you know, some big actor. And they're, they seem like they're so self-conscious of their own work, even though they're killing it. Yeah. And uh, so I almost was like looking for that, you know, when I started my show and sure enough, man, I found it with almost every guest. And so I think it's comforting for most people to hear that, you know, I don't, I don't know that that ever goes away. And I think it's a good sign that it's like, you care, Yeah, you want to get better. And so I don't think I've done my best work yet. You know, like I really, like, I think, you know, like I've been doing it, like I said, for, I've, I've been shooting architecture as a career for the last 17 years. And I really feel like I'm just kind of yeah in the groove of it, you know? And so like, I, I want to be better, man. I strive to be better. And, it, and it's nice to hear other people feel the same way, even though they've been shooting for 30 years. Oh yeah. And, uh, I had to ask like, who, who's your white whale, man? Who, who do you want on the podcast? Who's like, dream guest you haven't had them on is there anybody six in your mind that you're like that's what i want to get them on there's a couple i mean there's a few but um 
I mean, Platon's on, he's on that list, man. I love that dude's work. I've had a ton of back and forth with, I'm sure you did the same to get him on your show. Yeah. It took a long time. Uh, yeah. I've had a lot of back and forth with his, his uh, studio manager there. I think it'll happen eventually. Yep. Annie Leibovitz, Annie Leibovitz I'd, I'd love to have. Me too, man. That's my white whale, dude. Like, yeah, I don't know how I would get her on. That's the thing. She, I don't even think she has a website, dude. <laughs> like, I've reached out to her agent, which is, you know, I mean, it's yeah. a very big agent. Yep. Never heard a thing back. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few, man, but she's a big one, you know, and it's like, as you, as I'm sure you feel like, you know, you get some of these people, Albert Watson, Mark Silger, and you think like, come on, Annie, you know, it's like dude, Albert, Albert, that dude's, that dude's a motherfucking legend. Like yeah. that dude's like such a boss, cool as hell to deal with. Like, yeah, he's so and, nice, man. And I reach awesome. out, they're like, yeah, when you want to do it like, totally. ne- next week, it wasn't like I didn't have to reach out 10 times. It was like, sure. sounds good. <laughs> I was exactly. like, it's fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, same. It's his son, even that's like the studio manager there. And he was just like, Yeah, he'd love to do it. What day do you want to do it? You know, and yeah. and then Albert himself is like so just cool and humble. And but yeah, there's a few. Steve McCurry, I've tried to get on for years. I can't ever seem to line in. Once again, tons of back and forth. And yeah. Uh and and like I said before, it's like very good to uh keep my ego in check because it's very humbling to just yep be constantly told like yeah sure we'll do it and then they ghost you for months you know <laughs> yeah like, come on man i thought yeah it's patience it's patience That's yeah patience and and like dude that is the whole photo business you know, oh yeah I tell, a lot of, I tell a lot of young people like man just go ahead and get used to like rejection and nose and um you know be willing to to learn from some of that rejection but mostly like don't take it personally and just you know, believe in yourself, man. If you really want it, keep moving on because that that shit never goes away, man. It's like for every for every yes I get on a big project, I've had you know 10 no's, you know. So yeah, man, it's a lot of it's a lot of no's. Like I had a job earlier last week. It was gonna be like a good bank job, like good money. And then the fucking Omicron had to go like kill it, dude. Like they like canceled the shoot, but then I was just like, I could have been I could have been like bummed out and pissed, but I was like. Yeah, whatever it is, what it is. Right. Work, work on the next thing. See what happens. You know. You know, Omicron, man. I just yeah. lost a job for that too. It was a hotel gig, and then they were just like, "Our whole staff has COVID right now, so we're gonna have to cancel." And I was like, "Ah, oh, God." Yeah, dude. I was gonna. That must be tough with your business because, like, you're shooting like private homes. Have Have you found that like harder to shoot like with the COVID and shit? Like, people they don't want you coming in shooting or like how does oh, that? Because nobody's in them anyway. Oh know? yeah, true. That's good. They're in the They're in the Bahamas or some shit. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, a little bit, you know, like at first, I, the biggest hit I took because of COVID was hotel work. Yeah. I have seen that dissipate quite a bit, but yeah. luckily a lot of these architects and interior designers I work for, they're as busy as they've ever been. Um, because once again, these very wealthy people decided they needed a mountain home or a, you know, an Austin home or whatever it is. And so they've, you know, they've uh, been buying property and building property and all kinds of stuff i feel like at a certain point like the hotel shit's gonna come back and people are gonna start traveling again so i bet like i would imagine you're gonna be fucking cranking with the hotel stuff again i, I would bet because like, they get so, at certain point they got to start advertising again and doing a lot of stuff to like, get people back out there you know i think so and honestly dude i think it's like i need to you know hopefully before you even drop this uh 
podcast, I can update my website, which I haven't done. <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> uh, but I need to like, you know, my marketing is it's lacking, you know, cause I've, I've managed to stay busy, like through word of mouth and stuff for mm-hmm. years. And so, you know, it's not terrible. It looks good enough, but um, I think what's happening in a lot of the hotel world is like the Joe Greer's out there and stuff. And I love Joe. And like, I think he does beautiful work, but like some of these almost like Instagram kind of influencer photographers are yep. booking Ritz Carlton gigs and stuff. And, and, and they're looking less for like the polished architecture work and more for like the, the lifestyle. Vibe. Yeah. Kind of the vibe of being there, you know, and, and I get it, man. I'm not I mean, like, you know, my feelings aren't hurt over it. I'm just trying to figure out like, you know, where I, uh, where I fit in that mix. No, that makes sense. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Oh, yeah. last, I was going to ask you, have you ever done any of your interviews in person or have they always just been over the, the computer the whole time? They, they started off in person. Uh, I, all the original ones, which I encourage people to not listen to, cause I think it wasn't very good. <laughs> But all the original ones, it was like Corey Richards and Andy Mann and Keith Lazinski and all these Colorado guys. Okay, those guys yeah. are all based out of Boulder and Fort Collins and Denver and stuff. And so at first I was like, man, I can just hit all these like big National Geographic shooters and stuff. And they're they're close by. And yeah, um, and I got them all. And then I had friends too, Bo Bridges and Tim Wade Xavier and some of these people that had been they lived here for a while and then moved to LA and stuff and then it just became it just became such a hassle I know you've done so many in person and like I'm not 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 since COVID like I've only done two in person since COVID but yeah before that you were doing the model that I wanted to do well it's easier for me because I'm only three hours from New York and like the way I would do it was like if I had like a slow week and I I would like pre-COVID like I'd, I'd make meetings and go like show my portfolio at like an agency or like some magazine or whatever. And then I would book like one or two podcasts at the same time. So it just made sense. That's right. only, that's like the only reason I, that's the only way I've been able to do it uh, when it was in New York stuff. Yeah. But it's cool, dude. I I like what the way you were doing it. And you like, you know, you would take a trip to California and because yeah. of that, it's like, it's pretty personal, like doing yeah. it the way we're doing. I still like, Oh I yeah. Stay, I stay in touch with a lot of people. I know you do too. And yeah. And that's amazing. You have some of these like legendary figures that text you or something. You're like, this is so weird. This is a person I used to look up to, you know, and or yeah. I, mean, I still look up to. Definitely. Um, but I think the way you did it, where you actually got to spend time with them in person and go to, yeah. go to Larry Fink's farm and yeah, you know, at a damn winter studio. That's amazing, dude. Yeah, man, I miss it. Hopefully I can get back to doing some more in-person ones, but I think it's still going to be a little while until people are comfortable with that stuff, you know? And when it just becomes so much it's just so much easier to schedule, you know? And unfortunately I think now that everybody realized like we can just do everything on zoom. It's like a lot of those people are like, can we just do it on zoom though? Cause I don't really want to I'll know. put, yeah. Uh, yeah. That is like that for sure. Uh-huh. And, but whatever is what it is. Um, I guess last question, man, what's next for you? What's, what, what's, what's on anything on bucket list or anything you're hoping to work on this year coming up here? Um, I mean, I just did photo banner. So <laughs> I like what you're doing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked to do your show. And, and, you know, when I'm, I'm glad I got to have you on mine. I don't know what's next, man. I'm, you know, like I'm always open. I'm, I am, there's a couple of projects I've got in the works that are filmmaking projects. And like I said, um, you know, one of the biggest things I learned from my show is like chasing personal work, personal work that 
not only doesn't pay sometimes, but maybe cost you money. Yeah, I want to see some of that on your website, Rick. Man, it's straight okay. business right now, which is good. But I want I want to see some Rick personality stuff on there, dude. I'm getting there. I'm getting yeah. there. But I'm trying to make a documentary film, and we're gonna we're gonna make it happen, and uh, possibly another podcast in the works. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Oh, like a non-photography podcast, like a different one. Yeah, we'll see. You know, it, it's got some. It's got a lot of elements. It's a it's a content across all platforms kind of all project right. uh, that involves a lot of video. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then it's been a bunch of meetings for for not. You know, hey, that's that's awesome, man. It's exciting. Get out there and try stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do, man. I'm just trying to uh, keep living the dream here. I'm having fun, so I just want to keep having fun. Awesome. Well, Rick, it was a pleasure, man. I was glad to have you on. And uh, I guess for people listening, if they want to check out more of your work, where should they go? Um, Stovall Studio. Uh, I'm sure you'll link me. But yep. uh, Stovall Studio, visualrevolutionary.com is the podcast platform. At Stovall Studio, at Visual Revolutionary on Instagram. And uh, once again, dude, um, it's been fun hanging out with you again. I like what you're doing. And uh, I like the ability to kind of cross pollinate our platform. You know, like I've got no jealousy over anyone out there doing stuff. So it's fun to hang out with. with Hell yeah, man. You know? Hell yeah. Well, thanks so much, Rick. I guess we can cut it there. So there you have it. That was the Rick Stovall interview. Uh, just want to thank Rick so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, it was great to connect again. Um, he, he was gracious enough to have me on his podcast a few months ago. Um, so I really enjoyed speaking with Rick and just kind of hearing about his path with photography and, you know, doing his own podcast as well. The Visual Revolutionary, um, which you guys should all go check out. Um, it's available on all podcast platforms and you can go follow him on Instagram at Visual Revolutionary. And if you want to see more Rick's uh, photography work, you can go follow him on Instagram as well at Stovall Studio. Uh, lots of amazing art, architectural work up there. Um, Rick's been in the game for a long time, so definitely go check that out. And as always, thanks so much for listening and uh, take care.